You have found the Run Around Iowa, the podcast that's dedicated to news and interviews with the athletes, coaches, and personalities who are making headlines in college cross country, track and field, road running, trail running, and triathlon in the state of Iowa. And now from the home office in Clive, here is your host, Lance Bergeson. My guest today is a four-time Summit League champion in the 800 meters running for South Dakota State University. She holds the school record in the 800 meters at 205.48, which was set at the recent Summit League Championships in May. My guest also was a four-time Iowa State track and field champion competing for Des Moines Christian. Welcome to the program, Oksana Johnson. Hello, Oksana. Hi, Lance. Thank you for having me. And it's a pleasure to talk track and I don't get a lot of time to be able to talk track and people are as excited. So I'm excited to be here and thank you for having me. Well, I, uh, you were definitely on my radar of people I wanted to talk to. You've had a great career. Uh, I'm sure your last race as a Jack was probably not what you wanted, uh, at West prelims, but, um, you've got a little free time on your hands now, right? Yes, life has calmed down a little bit compared to the last six years, but it's it's good. It's good to have a break and kind of take a step back and appreciate everything I've had the last six years. Mm, yeah, you've had um, a lot of ups and downs. Um, as people know you on Instagram that have followed you, we've got a lot of lot to unpack here. Um, <laughs> you were a graduate uh, student this year. Um, yes at uh, SDSU, Early Childhood Education. You're going into counseling, I believe? That- yes, I am. Yeah. So what, um, what, um, what level, uh, what kind of ages are you looking to um, counsel? I mean, what, uh, what are you, where are you at on that? Yeah, so um, I didn't know if I was going to go six years, you know, but with COVID and some injuries, it played out nicely so I kind of was able to go and um, start my master's program here at SCSU in uh, clinical and mental health uh, with a specialization in play therapy so my undergrad being in early childhood I really wanted to continue to do a lot of work with children Um, right now I'm currently doing play-based therapy with children under the age of five so it's a demographic that doesn't have as many resources um, to help with the mental health side. So I really passionate about that. And I have about one year left of my program. Um, and I'll be graduating next spring with my master's. So you're still going to be, uh, in Brookings for another year then? Yes. Yes, I will. My husband works for the university and he's also, uh, played baseball there. So we have some Decently strong connections to the university. You got some strong ties up there. What yeah. Is, uh, what does he do uh, as far as at the university? Yeah, he works in the financial aid's office. So he got his master's in student affairs. And um, after ending baseball, and he ended up doing the financial aid stuff. And I can't even go into all that because mm. I prefer to, I'm like, I don't know what you do, but. You're helping kids figure out the financial world with that. So keep doing that. <laughs> now, this is Bryce. It's your husband. Um, yes. You've been married over two years now. Um, yep. So, uh, how did that all come about? How'd you, how'd you meet him? 
Um, so he transferred to play baseball from, cause he's originally from Arizona. So baseball there is, you know, religious. And so when I'm, I met him that sophomore year, cause we were always sharing spaces together between the athletic training room to our weight room to the track. I mean, pretty much wherever the baseball team, the track team was also there. So we saw quite a bit of each other, um, started dating, Halfway through my sophomore year, dated for two years, and then got engaged that COVID, 2020 COVID year, and then got married at the courthouse like three months later. So (laughs) it wasn't, it's, I'm, it's very me. I'm not overly like, I'm not a party planner, so I am not really interested in trying to host people very often so that's the whole wedding thing wasn't like oh my goodness I've been dreaming of my wedding day for 20 years you know so I was happy to do a courthouse wedding and it was nice and cheap we love that um and it was nice and personal too so now we've been married for two years with a dog (laughs) (laughs) sounds very familiar Caroline Cunningham uh I had her as a podcast guest yeah. uh, on you know, last month and, um, you know, she got married early um, in college. So uh, yeah. was it something that kind of you weren't expecting, but just kind of you, you met him and you knew it was right? Yeah, we are very opposite. So, you know, I feel like a lot of my friends, they whoever they date, they're also usually runners or run. Yeah. And so... And I always thought, oh, I'm just going to have, I'm going to marry someone who's also going to run a lot. And he's definitely not a runner, which is totally okay. Um, I think it's also kind of for the best. Um, we both like very different things, but we're also very passionate about a lot of s- the same stuff. So he does a lot of biking, which is good for him. I'd rather run and he'd rather go bike for two hours, you know, so it's a little different. But um yeah, because we got married my senior year, my fourth year, right. after my fourth year. So I waited a decent time. <laughs> so uh, what'd you say about decent time? Um, I just, I, you know, I think at one point you're like, Last uh, uh, I just saying like, at, I feel like we waited a decent amount of time before we oh, got okay. married, you know, and then. Okay had our doggo and all that stuff so now we're just embracing life yeah and well it's it's interesting your last post on instagram you're talking about embracing life yeah you talked about hashtag retirement um, <laughs> on your on your running post um yeah, you're not retiring from running you're just retiring from competitive running is that kind of what you're yeah i'm retiring from what's all that about (laughs) (laughs) so i think you know when people go and decide to pursue athletics in college what at whatever level it might be um especially you know we have this glorified idea of this d1 athletic lifestyle and it's yeah very glorified and I've, I mean, you ask a kid and he's like, oh, I want to be a professional this or a professional that. And 
I was the same way. I was very naive going in and thinking, you know, I'm just going to go and have this phenomenal career. I did, but not without its hardships either. So um, the time commitment, the way that you do, I mean, what's expected of you as a collegiate runner um, is just so vastly different than anything else you'll ever do, you know, so when it's you say retirement, it really, even if I was to go and do professional running, let's say, it's a very different lifestyle um, between what you eat, how, who you're responsible for your oh, time. Yeah. Um, all of that looks a little bit different. So retirement from the collegiate running and athletic lifestyle is definitely what my post is more about is saying goodbye to this chapter of my life and embracing what new fitness looks like what running looks like without the track world um and the collegiate track world um but you know we'll see what life has to what life has in store for me going forward with running i just i just never i i just didn't see you uh, if you were to turn pro um yeah and do that i just don't see you thriving in that environment i i just don't see you enjoying it that much um being away from your husband and yeah i don't i think if i was to do it it would definitely be something that's on my very much on my own terms um and more so for fun and less so as a job or a career you know um if i decide to i know one of my goals is to run a marathon here sometime but um, that's gonna we're gonna wait a hot minute on that one maybe at least a year (laughs) before we start (laughs) dreaming about that goal that's a, that's a quite a commitment to, to, it is to, to a marathon trust me on that um, <laughs> so well it's great 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 to see you're still um going to be uh, doing some running and continuing with it and yeah it sounds like you've got a real uh you've got your your profession um insight what you want to mm-hmm. do helping young kids and that's that's outstanding uh, they definitely need that and you uh you're well aware of that uh, going through your own struggles that you've written about yes um, I, i'm very on. i'm very passionate about my career and that's the one thing i do want you know with mental health and stuff and clinical mental health is bringing more awareness to the athletic world too is that piece on what does the athlete's mental health, like what role does that play in their competing? Like we want all these results from our athletes without giving them all the care we need to give them. So whether you're a professional or in college, like it all plays a role. Yeah. Yeah. And all the stresses that you talked about with the college running, um, it's, you know, it's on a whole different level that, um, mm-hmm. that the rest of us don't even realize. And it was nice to have Abby Caldwell as uh, a regular podcast guest uh, this year to talk about a lot of that. She experienced at Iowa State. And, um, yeah. And you definitely um, uh, know all about that. I do. And I'm just very fortunate to have had a very understanding coach and a very supportive program uh when it comes to everything there was never a moment where I didn't feel like I had someone to go to whether it be an athletic trainer whether it be my coach 
um, whether it be my teammates, I always carried my emotions loud and proud um, and didn't really hide it too much. Um, I didn't find any benefits in hiding my emotions. So, um, yeah, when people people would know if I had a bad day on the track or coming in and after like a hard day of work, um, especially with my job, I carry a lot of trauma from others and hearing the stories from other children or people I work with and it can be heavy and then to go to practice show up to practice and try to put that on the back burners can be difficult so um when I felt a certain when I felt any of those emotions I always had a good supportive team and my coach especially um who's able to check in and see what I needed that day so which I know is not the benefit that everyone has. Um, but I was very fortunate to have a good relationship with my coach. Yeah, it's Rod DeHaven you're talking yes. about. You called him one of the most irritating and frustrating people I know. <laughs> don't care so deeply for your athletes. Um, why was he most irritating and frustrating? I know I know some backstories about Rod because uh, – yeah. I was I was uh, friends on a relay with some of his former teammates. Uh, yeah. Ran, so they, they had some stories on Rod. <laughs> uh, but tell me why, just because he pushed you so much uh, to be your best? Yes. Um, he's like, he's one of the most humble guys out there. You know, he would, I mean, if you don't know him, if you didn't know that he went, he ran in the Olympics, you know, he, you would never know. Like yeah. he would never mention it. He never really speaks on his own accolades or his own amazing coaching abilities. And so the irritating part comes from, I think he cares so deeply and sometimes it's hard to put that like when we have a bad workout, let's say if I have a bad workout and I'm not able to get something out of my body or I'm injured it's like he's frustrated at the same level as I'm frustrated and so it's just two people really frustrated about something that we both have no control over <laughs> so sometimes it's just like we've had we've had very loud and very heated conversations about what I needed versus what we need to be doing or you know when I got COVID um, this indoor season which wasn't which was really frustrating for me, but then also for him knowing that this is my last year, I think he also had a extra vested interest to see me succeed, you know, and he wanted to see me succeed and it's not for his glory. He just knew that I wanted this so much. And so he was going to push me to my limits, but also making sure that I was receiving good care and recovering and trying to come back also. Well, COVID, you know, puts you in, in a complete standstill or even worse, uh, regression, um, you know. Yes. Some athletes can't come back from it. When did you have that? Um, um, so it was in February uh, because kind of early or late January, early February. Um, I had, I, so backstory everyone wanted to see me run a mile and I've never run a mile on the track in my entire life up to this point. And so 
I was finally, and I was feeling fit. I was feeling really confident in the ability to go and put a decent mile on the track. So that put me in the mile indoors. And I got through, I think, two laps before I was like, and I could, it was just the worst feeling I could ever imagine. Like, I hadn't, didn't feel like I could control how fast I was running. I was trying so hard, but it was like nothing was happening. And I was like, okay, this does not feel great. And it was just, I, I was like, this, if a mile feels like this every single time, there's no way I'm ever going to race a mile ever again. Um, turns out I tested the next day. I tested positive for COVID. And so I'm going to, it was not a bad mile with COVID. I still am not super happy with the time, but it is what it is. It was at an, an alumni meet at home. I'm, I'm looking yep. up 505. That's very solid for being <laughs> yeah. virus. My COVID mile. Yeah. That's um, pretty good. So, and I think, I, <laughs> I think it gave me a sense of some confidence knowing if I could run 505, you know, with COVID, then I'm probably still in decent shape. But I think that also kind of gave me panic because indoor season is so short and yeah and you don't know if you're going to be ready for yeah or fortunately you did get get uh, ready in time yep. but there's a lot of it was really a lot of racing back in shape and I think I mean I probably did the dumbest thing is I didn't really take a break at all um even when I had COVID that full week I kept running um mm. but then which wasn't super smart but I think I was so frustrated and the only thing I could do was kind of run a little bit or try to run. But you had, but you, you had the five day COVID probably. I mean, right. I mean, no, actually I didn't, I didn't test negative for an additional almost eight days or nine days. Oh, you had a little. Yeah. Cause I tested cause we would, I tested at day five and then waited two more days and tested again. Okay. Um, so about eight days probably before I tested negative for it. Um, but then, yeah, I had some heart rate stuff going on, trying to do workouts and stuff that it was really hard to, you know, stay mentally tough and engaged throughout the training process and getting back to racing. Um, the first few races back were humbling. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was an interesting you're way. You're in a two eleven, a two ten. Yeah. You won the summit with a two ten. So were you just kind of were you just trying to run it to win the eight hundred? Uh, at conference? Week? Yeah, uh, in February, late February. Yeah, so with conference, um I think that's you know, the first day was really um I ran two 800s on day one of conference, which I've never done. I've never, I've always done an open eight and then open eight in a four by four. And that's usually my conference um, schedule. But um, coach asked if I'm good to run a medley. And so we did the DMR indoors. So I ran two 800s. So I was a little bit exhausted, but also um, feeling strong by that point. So, which was interesting because that week prior I didn't really train um due to another sickness so there's a lot of sickness in the indoor season but I was really 
I just set out to compete hard and just to win is was my goal was just to win at that point and kind of recover and get ready for outdoor season. Yeah, and well, you well your DMR finished second that yes uh, that week, and then like I said, you won the championship, um, running two ten indoors. Um, and that had to feel pretty good to you know to be able to come back and, and yeah win, and win a championship after I'm sh- a lot of doubts there whether you would be able to, to make it all the way back health wise. Exactly. Yeah, um, and your your outdoor season went really really well uh, mm-hmm. 205 48 um was that kind of coming did you see it coming uh, i did i told rod um even after i won indoor conference we kind of talked and and he gave me my pat on the back and was like you still have a 205 in you you know so knowing that um he had that belief in me that i could still run a 205 kind of kept my fire burning to want to run a 205 um and so I had to be really patient and then you know going to California is always awesome to be able to go out there and to race and have the beautiful weather and Brian Clay is always a fast track too so um running 206 there again was really really exciting for me and then being able to double back with the 207 the next day was also um, felt good to know that I had that strength. And then at that point, after that, it was just finding the good, a good race and the right race to run that two Oh five. And you even got back for the relays. Uh, oh yes. In Des Moines. Nice. Your, 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 uh, family could watch you and not have to, to drive. Uh, yes. A lot longer distance. Um, got fifth that day in the 800, um, another busy, weekend for you you also ran the dmr and the four by four so really stacked a lot on your plate there um how fun was it knowing that it was going to be your last time running uh at drake state um it was very bittersweet um i think i've had some amazing phenomenal moments at on that track and there's always especially once you go to college you know not everyone understands the feeling of a state Iowa state track meet and how big it is and how phenomenal the atmosphere is. And so coming back home and running on Drake, Drake's track is always just a blast. Um, And there's something about, there's just always that pride, you know, the pride of knowing like this is home turf in a way. And then um, there you're racing, not only for like your university, but also for Iowa the state of Iowa a little bit like um just giving back to that scene that also grew me yeah um well uh, it had to be like like you said it had to be a bit you had to be a bit sad because you knew that you know this would be you know it for you um yeah it's gotta be tough a little bit um emotionally for you um uh, but then, you know, like you said, we turned around, uh, cranked out that 205-48, uh, um, which already, you know, crushed your, your school record you already owned. Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, you've owned it. Uh, when did you first grab the school record? Uh, was it um, this year or was it? 
Uh, so I had my first indoor record my freshman year, and then I got the outdoor record my junior year of eligible technically, but running wise it would have been my sophomore year because I didn't run that my actual sophomore year because of an injury. Yeah, it's been a it's been a while. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they haven't really updated the records too well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're a little slower on this side of. <laughs> you need to get Coach Rod on uh, on updating your records. Uh, oh yeah, because I I had a feeling that uh, you, you owned it a little longer than just this year. Oh um, yeah. So um, the event down in Arkansas, the West Prelims, probably didn't go quite the way you wanted. You came in twenty uh, fifth seed. And then you uh, finished 34th. Um, yes. That uh, was not, I imagine, what you wanted to run. No, it's not. It's I definitely was expecting a lot more from myself. Um, I felt good, like really good going into it the day before. Um, my strides felt great, everything going up to that. And even warming up was, I felt ready to go and it's probably been the least nervous I've ever been on a line, um, towing the line. And so I had some confidence going into it. I were too too chill, maybe. uh, Yeah. I don't know. Like there's always like, I mean, once you get in that atmosphere, I think, and you, I've, I mean, I've been there three times, um, same positions. And, you know, my first year I was, it's not like it was new for you. Yeah, and so my first year I was nervous as hell. Really competitive. Yeah. Um, But each year I learned something, and I think this year it was was sad because there was just – there's never, oh, I get another chance. There's not, oh, I'm coming back next year. Um, I've really milked it for all it was worth (laughs) all the years I could. Um, But – I'm thankful for the experience. I'm thankful that I get to, you know, I raced against some phenomenal ladies and there's never nothing quite like that feeling of being able to say like, Hey, like I ran against some of the best of the best in the country and not everyone gets to do that. So to be able to say I've done that and, um, you know, holding my own ground and being able to just enjoy the moment. It was awesome um but yeah I think the part that hurt the most is you don't get to say I gotta do it again I can come back and try again next year um so yeah there were some tears a lot of sadness but um also just a lot of joy well you I'm sure you brought a lot of joy to your uh uh, coaches uh running as well as you did uh coming from a small school uh you know Des Moines Christian um took a chance on you and you, and you, uh, definitely, uh, made, uh, everybody, uh, happy about the decision. Yeah. It, I think I asked, cause like our Eric, um, our sprints coach was the one that recruited me cause I was originally supposed to run the four hundreds and the two hundreds. Um, and so even last year I was like, Hey, like, did you think I was going to last this long? And he's like, Nope, mm-hmm. but we're glad that you're here. So I'm like, thanks. So it always feels good to be appreciated. And I think leaving this team and from being an athlete, um, 
I'm just thankful. And I think it was sad just because of how awesome my experience has been. So it's hard to say goodbye to something that was so amazing. Well, we can't, uh, I can't have you on, on as a guest without talking about, uh, you, you've made it known pretty much that you uh, struggled with some depression. Yeah. Um, you, you've, you've had some definite struggles there. And I'm sure one of those is because um, you were um, an adopted uh, child from Russia. You came to Iowa um, uh, from, uh, from that country. And, um, and there's a lot uh, of difficulties there. Uh, we adopted a boy from China, mm-hmm. so uh, we know exactly uh, what kind of feelings um, that you had. You, um, um, you said you were kind of a troubled child for your parents, and, and um, you know our son's been that way too. It, it's very difficult uh, uh, to really understand, but um, you know, children that um, you know do come from orphanages like you did. Um, um, it's 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 incredibly difficult um, to uh, they feel like um, they're not wanted and uh, yeah and there's a lot of um, out, uh, speaking out and that sort of thing um, mm-hmm. that, tell me about your experience there um yeah I think you know I mean I was adopted at seven so I mean I'm lucky to be adopted because most kiddos don't get adopted at age seven yeah, it's usually kids or a lot of teen, teen teenagers you know yeah and so my parents really did take a risk on adopting a seven-year-old who's had you know her own experiences and um traumas that I faced and so I'm very thankful for my parents and I'm very thankful for just looking back I used to just there's so many things that you know I would be so mad like why would I be doing chores? Like, why would I be, why do I have to do this? Why do you have to do that? And it's like, now you look back and you're like, wow, like, thank you for instilling those things in me to appreciate discipline, to respect people and to just like the common basic things that I feel like sometimes, especially nowadays with all the turmoil that are just no longer common sense. But um, yeah, I think, it has given me my own sense of, cause I did have some, I struggled with some PTSD, um, from my childhood traumas, um, which was hard for my parents, especially my dad, because I'm such a daddy's girl. Um, and I think it was hard for him to process that. Cause I was, I shut down, um, and really was struggling with that, got some counseling and then, um, all my injuries also shut down, um, at times, especially my sophomore year and struggled with some more depression there. And it's just kind of, you're all alone when that's the sucky thing about injuries is you're alone in those moments. You don't, there's a lot of time spent by yourself. And so it's hard to feel like you're still part of a whole, you know, and you didn't feel like part of the team so. yeah because it's like you just don't spend the same amount of time you're not out there running and especially with the sport of running it's like where do you get to know your teammates the most well it's when you're five miles out on a gravel road when all you have is you and your teammates and then you're stuck in a bike or an elliptical and or in the pool for an hour and a half at a time just yeah by yourself you and your Doing thoughts and so yeah, and there's nothing worse than that. 
No. And so I think those were very hard, difficult pieces of mental health that I've struggled with. And I've been lucky enough to have to know where to go to and the resources um, that were available to me to for counseling for, um, you know, managing anxiety and depression um, through college. And it's hard to speak up on it, especially when, you know, a lot of people nowadays just see somebody who's had this phenomenal running career and academically is doing well. And it's like, well, those things aren't without their own challenges. And so the show is not quite as, it's not as shiny if you look beneath the surface and you see just the amount of challenges that people go through. And so I've always told my teammates like, Hey, like, how are you? And you know, you get the constant like, Oh, I'm good. And it's like, no, like, how are you? Like, what, like, what's going on? Like, tell me your real feelings. Like I'm, I, not that I can fix it, but I want you to know that like I can hear your feelings and that's okay. Um, and not fake it through. And so I think that was a huge part of, um, growing up and also just realizing that life is messy and you just kind of embrace it and work with what you got. Yeah. From a distance. I mean, it looks like you got the, you know, the world in the palm of your hand, you got a, you know, 3.91 GPA, uh, you're in graduate school, you got a husband, you know, you're doing, uh, terrifically, uh, in, 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 in track and field, you're, uh, you know, all conference, all, you know, champion running, yeah. but, I mean, it looks like everything's going well, but but you're saying no. You know, it's it, there are a lot of struggles still. Yep, I think loneliness is something that I've really had to figure out. Like, is it bad? Is it good? Like, am I supposed to feel this way? Am I not supposed to feel this way? And um, luckily, my husband's really has been really supportive, and I think the only reason I could go year five, year six is because I had a husband who was very understanding of like everything I wanted to accomplish um, between academics, between my running career. Cause it's, I mean, it's not easy to be on the road most of the spring and, you know, you see your husband like once a or twice a month for a week. And then you don't really see him that much anyways. Cause it's like, you only get like right. an hour um, when you get home from, working and doing workouts and by the time you get home it's like oh it's eight o'clock so i'm gonna go to bed <laughs> so so you were holding down a job as well uh, yeah so i was working and doing school um the last two years was that a part-time job then what were you doing um yeah it was about like 30 hours a week oh okay so i would work um till three o'clock and then i would uh go to practice and then go to night class from either five to eight, or sometimes I've had classes as late as 10 o'clock. So we just juggle all the pieces as the best we could. Wow. And luckily I had a really supportive team. That's a lot on your plate, Oxana. Yeah. You <laughs> really well. I can see how that was getting stressful for you. Yep. Um, that's definitely a lot. Um, um, <clears throat> going back to your, um, your childhood. I don't want to be Dr. Phil or anything. No, here, you're good. But, uh, <clears throat> but you talked about having a survival mechanism. Yeah. And we saw that with Lucas, our son, you, you really, 
you know, hold in your feelings and don't want to tell anybody. And, and then you'd act out, you know, he, you know, act out at times, you know, people don't un understand what you've gone through, and yeah. you know, but when you're in an orphanage with other kids, you know, you have that survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. It's, it's all about you. And, and we've seen that a lot of, you know, him about how, you know, he is that, he is that uh, in instinct to just fight for himself. Yep. Uh, and it sounds like you went through that. Yeah, I, so growing up in Russia, you know, it's in the Russian orphanage, it's, it can be a doggy dog world and it really is like yeah. everyone for themselves. So like if yeah. you could, you try to get somebody else in trouble because then it's not you being in trouble, you know, or um, you try so hard to please the authority to avoid getting consequences. And so being adopted, you know, when my, I would always try to tattle on my brother and like my brother could be doing something so simple as watching TV. And I'm just like, mama, mama, Jacob is here. Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. And my mom's like, what? It's like, what's going on? And it's like, he's just watching TV. And it's like, for me, it was like, I need him to be in trouble. So I know that I'm not going to be in trouble or no. um, even like lying was like a huge thing for me because it's like, and the orphanage it's like you are gonna do whatever it takes to avoid whatever punishment it is and to burst somebody's happy bubbles of what they think orphanages might be it's you know for me it was there's no regulations it's not the united states where people are looking after children or trying to look after children and have these strict guidelines for child care or whatever that's not a universal thing. <laughs> so in Russia, it really, like, there were not a lot of rules or regulations. So, you know, hitting a child was not out of the norm for punishment or beating them with a belt is not the, out, out of the norm for punishment. And so, like, when that's what you're avoiding, you're going to do whatever it takes to avoid that punishment. And so... For me, like even just lying about the simplest things because I didn't want to get in trouble. Yeah, and yeah, uh, fortunately we haven't had too much trouble with Lucas uh, lying to us. Uh, we haven't had that problem, but uh, you know, you, you can see all the uh, all the uh, problems that you had. Uh, it's good to see that you uh, connected with your with your um, with your your Russian family. Yeah. Um, you were able to uh, get connected with them. I don't think we'll ever have that opportunity with Lucas because he was abandoned. Um, yeah. but, but that's great that you were able to have some closure there uh, with, with your life. Yeah, that was a really awesome and unique experience for me to, and just simply because, you know, I finally got some baby pictures, which I, you know, most people, that's nothing. Yeah, like we have a billion baby pictures. And it's like, for me, I grew up most of my life without any baby pictures. And so having something as simple as that kind of makes you feel a little bit more normal, <laughs> a little bit more human or knowing that when I have a kid someday, I can say, hey, 
I can compare my baby picture to my kid's picture and say, who did like, do you look like me when I was a baby? And those are some things that I never thought I would have. And so now that I have that, um, thank you to my grandma for getting me a 23andMe DNA kit. It's phenomenal. And it's just a nice piece of closure that's there to know. Um, will I ever go back? I don't know. Um, it's not the safest country, but it's good to know that I do have that connection. And you do know why you were, you know, given up um, for for adoption and all that. Oh, um, kind of. <laughs> kind of. Okay. okay. There's a lot of mixed stories yeah. um, between like what my parents were told versus you know what my cousins told me. Um, because I did live with my cousins in Russia for a bit and, you know, they say, oh, like we were wanting to adopt you and your mom gave you up. And then uh, my parents were told something else. And so it's just, mm. I think the reasoning is just, I don't know if I can ever trust any single story. Um, but I think the more important thing is like, I, you know, I do feel like more centered in my identity of who I am and where I come from and how those experiences shape to be shape me to be who I am now to be the person I want to be in the future and the person I want to be right now. Yeah, because that's that's one of the big things that you've got to get uh, one of the hurdles you have to get over is, you know, why was I given up and why was mm-hmm. I alone? And that's yeah. you know, something that my son may never uh, be able to, to, you know, to um, rationalize within himself, you know, no. it feels like um, he was never good enough. And that's, that's been, that, that's, that's been the toughest part, part for us is because, you know, he, uh, he always wonders, you know, why. And how old is your son now? Um, he's, uh, he's 17. So. Okay. Yeah. So, so he's in that phase where it's like, you know, as a kid, you can kind of like accept it. And then as you get older, you start wondering about why this, why that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And all you can do is, you know, give him all the love you, you can and you know, especially mm-hmm. is. And, um, you know, hopefully he'll, um, he'll be able to uh, uh, be uh, accepting of that. Uh, yes. That's, that's all we can do. So. Well, I'm glad um, you've at least um, worked on that um, end of it. I'm glad you've uh, got, uh, like you said, some closure on that. I'll bet, uh, I'll bet, you know, 2020 was very difficult with you. You sound like a very social person. COVID had to have been, <laughs> been, been, been tough on you. Um, had, had honestly, you. it wasn't that bad for me, I don't think, but I think you know, at that time, I was still living with all of the girls that I knew for four years, you know, so through most of the summer, I lived with them um, in Brookings. And then of course, getting married and things up here weren't as like shut down as I think other places. Um, But we did get, you know, yelled at quite a bit because you'd see like a group of four girls running and they're like, social distance, like COVID. And we're just like, we live together. We share a bathroom. It's fine. Um, That was, I think, interesting, like being yelled at for being in such close proximity with like 
people that you live with, but not people not knowing that. And then just people just yelling because they think they know something that we don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, and then of course, like I always had a real, like being still on the team and still going out and running together as a team that really helped to um, transition. But I think, you know, going from undergrad to graduate school and all those people I met for the first four years graduating and leaving was difficult um, and making new friends, you know, and that was a hard transition in life for me because I am social, but I'm also got a little bit of social anxiety when it comes to it. Mm, Because okay. um, once I know you, I feel like I'm like, oh, okay, like we're good. That's fine. But the initial like meeting and getting out of your comfort zone for me is can be difficult because I'm like oh what if they don't like me what if I'm mean like what if they think I'm weird (laughs) now I've just kind of accepted it um it's amazing what two years does for you but I think I've just accepted my quirks and my weirdness and just embraced what that looks like and if they think (laughs) I'm weird they think I'm weird and that's fine (laughs) well like you said you needed to mature Um, yeah you know and, and college has definitely done that for you been pretty outspoken about how yeah yeah you needed to grow up a bit and this is uh everything that you've experienced has really uh, set you up for that yes and um well you, you uh talk about um this coach anna beers um who's helped you um get out of the with me uh, you, uh, talk about um, your relationship there with anna beers yeah, she's somebody, she's a coach that really uh, played a huge role in me coming back, you know, year five and year six. Um, I had my gallbladder removed last December, not this last December, but the two years ago. And I was having a hard time running and, you know, like having a hard time really like believing in what I could do in my own abilities. And I would even when I talk about like, you know, having those mental health moments, like she would be somebody I'd go up to and just we'd cry on the floor together about whatever it was and um, just sitting there, but also coming and working out with me and pushing me and showing me that I'm capable of doing 1200 meter tempo runs. Like I'm capable of doing one K repeats and also showing me the progress I made from December to May, you know, whatever that looks like. And she really does like she's a coach that will go above and beyond um she loves her job she loves coaching and she loves pouring into people um last year we got stuck in Ole Miss so we were supposed to run in Ole Miss and then get on the flight the next day after racing but it got postponed due to weather delays and you know where some coaches would have been like well we're just not going to run. We'll just hop on the plane and leave because it's hard to find flights, you know, <laughs> and such mm-hmm. short term yeah. basis. And sure. so she just was like, okay, well, we're going to do what we're going to do. We're going to race. Cause all of us wanted to race. Like we wanted to run. Um, and we raced and then drove, she drove us back to South Dakota from Ole Miss. And so, She's just one of those coaches that really will find a way to make your dreams as an athlete come true. Nice. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, having your gallbladder uh, removed is not exactly a, 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 a huge surgery. Did you have um, issues from that? or? Um, so all of fall training was really hard for me because I was having so many issues with my stomach and stuff. And so I was having a hard time doing workouts. I was having a hard time running comfortably. And so it was just really difficult to just, you know, put on just start training and keep going and build aerobic fitness. And so when I had my gallbladder removed, like it wasn't like the end of the world, but you know, you're taking an extra three weeks off, um, to heal and then to kind of get back into running. And it wasn't a huge surgery, which is, it is what it is. Um, but I think just knowing that my aerobic fitness wasn't, where I wanted it going into the next indoor season, but I had a good season after that. I mean, I ran 207 very consistently. <laughs> I think every 800 I ran. Um, yeah, I think it was like 207, 207, 207, 207, <laughs> um, which gave me a sense of confidence coming back this year. Also, was I was like, well, if I can run 207 consistently, I feel like I should easily be able to run faster than 207. So I'm glad I came back. And you had some problems with your feet as well, right? Um, during the yes. So those injuries. All of my running career, I kind of like always had like shin issues in high school. You know, we didn't have a track when I was um, running because it was the one Christian just got their track. If, like when I was graduating college or yeah, my senior year, they got it. Um, and so into my freshman year still have, I'm only running on 25 miles a week because my shins hurt really bad. I can, had a stress fracture. Um, I got some orthotics from a guy in Sioux city, Paul Coffin, who's a phenomenal doctor and really helped me to be able to go and be able to run pain free without shin splints or any shin pain really. And then sophomore year, um, I had a foot injury that no one really could assess or figure out what was wrong um were the best we got answer I got was a possible navicular stress fracture um so it took five months off there um and then it's just a um also possibly torn plantar fascia area there um so there's always it was always a balancing act with running and figuring out like how much could we push how much could I be in my spikes how much could do I need to be in my trainers so it really is a balancing act and during towards the end of the season i all, my feet always just hurt so bad um so i've poor feet but orthotics can make all the difference well you, yeah. you didn't even you didn't even want to run track and field right when you were i didn't when you were a child you were kind of i don't know i don't want to say forced into it but your but your parents wanted you to try it give it at least yep. a try right Yep, I was kind of a lazy kid. Like people who know me now, there's like, there's no way. And I'm like, oh, yes, way. I was a lazy kid. I didn't want to do anything. I was just happy to just exist. Um, and then my parents saw me at a track and field day in elementary school. And, you know, I was like beating the boys. And so when I went to middle school, they're like, you're going to run track and field. And I was like, no, I'll play. I'll start basketball. Like, <laughs> you're... you know. I never played basketball in my entire life. And I'm like, I'll do basketball instead. And they're like, yeah, you can do basketball, but you're also going to do track. Um, so I did two years of basketball in middle school. Trying to do the bargaining thing, weren't you? you know, yeah. Like, oh, 
And you probably weren't a good basketball player, right? You were probably yeah, the ball just could quite never stay with me. Like, I was just too fast, and the ball was too slow, and my dribbling was really <laughs> eh. We couldn't keep up. <laughs> so, track was the way to go. And then um, I ended up falling in love with it, and I was like, wow, when, I'm actually really good at this. <laughs> when did you really say, I, I, I got to have track and field? When did you really find that love for it um I'm trying to think it's either after my eighth I think it was after my seventh grade year I went and joined um Iowa Coralie track club that summer and with Kim Carson uh as my coach and I absolutely fell in love that summer I was like I love track and field I love everything about it I love every I love racing I love traveling and I want to do this like the rest of my life I'm not going to do it the rest of my life now but it was that's how my head was like I'm going to do this in college I'm going to be a d1 athlete um so my that's when my dreams really started to kind of formulate and I was really excited about it um and you were well Sounds like you were from Ankeny, but you went to Des Moines Christian. Um, yes. Was that really important to you to be in a faith-based school, or was it important to your parents? Uh, how did that? Uh, how did you end up at uh, at Des Moines Christian? Yeah. So um, when I first moved, well, when I was adopted, I first lived in Illinois for a couple of years and went to a private school there. It was really important for my parent for my parents that I went to a private school. Um, they've really valued that education. Um, in a faith-based education. So uh, then when we moved to Iowa, I went to Ankeny Christian for a year and then moved to Des Moines Christian after that, just because it was a little bit bigger. Um, but I think now, as I look back, I'm very thankful for the level of education I got at Des Moines Christian, um, despite whatever feelings I might have had back then, you know, being in high school, and like, oh, this is so stupid and blah, 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 blah. And, <laughs> Just like every classic kid, just I, I think school is dumb. There's nothing to it. Like I'm never gonna apply this in my life. Uh, yeah. uh, now I was in college. I was very thankful for that because I realized the things that weren't being taught to most people versus what I was being taught. Like I was taught to, you know, really investigate and explore my ideas into. Um, dive deep into what history looks like all of history not just one standard history book like we didn't really use our history books that much it was mostly us doing the research and applying the materials we learned and so even something as basic as slave trade that the things I knew about that versus what some people that I talked to they're like what I never learned that in school and I'm like what do you mean you never learned that in school so I'm very thankful for my private education now, um, and I value it, value it so much more. And going forward, if I could, if I can someday, hopefully my kids are in a private education of some sorts. Yeah, I, that, I would definitely encourage them in, in, in that direction. Uh, I went to public high school and had the, much of the same experience that you're talking about, your, uh, you know, that your friends and others yeah. had. You know, didn't didn't have those deep dive discussions and uh, going into well the history of our country for sure. Yeah, uh, 
Speaking of which, I, I've got to ask you about, you know, Russian invasion of Ukraine and your thoughts <laughs> and your feelings on that. Um, you have to be very much uh, torn on this. Yes. You know, I think the hard part about all of that, you know, is it's sad because it's like people are like, oh, like, what do you think? Are you team Russia? Are you team Ukraine? And I'm like, no. wait a minute. Like, <laughs> What are we like? No, stop. <laughs> um, You're but team life, right? You're team yeah, I'm like team whatever humanity is, like whatever, like debate, like just be a good human. And you know, and knowing my own history and Russian history, I think in some countries it's easy to like be like, oh, this group like enslaved this group and more like ethnic based. Whereas in Russia, like a lot of their history was based on the upper echelon enslaving the poor serfs of the country and so it was really definitely more economically based and truly more economically based and easier to tell that it was that way and so yeah like what success would I've had and if I stayed in Russia probably zero yeah. I would not have my outcome and my quality of life would have been awful if I stayed in Russia um but I also, you know, it's one of those things. It's like you, there's things that you can control and things you can't control. I can't control what's going on in Ukraine. Like I can have opinions. I can have, I could, I want the best for Ukraine. You know, do I think what Russia is doing is right? No, but like, is it ever okay to invade a country and have war? No, like okay. generally not never gone well for anybody in those situations. And so I, and I kind of leave it at that. Usually I just, I want people to do the right human thing. <laughs> it just doesn't always happen. And I think ultimately for Russia, I think it's going to cripple their country. Uh, yeah. By the time you, because they're not going up against Ukraine. It's, it's all the European and, <laughs> yep. and world powers that are not uh, specifically China probably. So Yeah. Um, so, uh, what's next for you? Um, besides one more year of college, are you, are you hoping to start a family? I, I'm 25. He's 26. Okay. So, so he's only a year older. Okay. Yeah. I thought he was a couple, but. Grade wise, I think he, nope, he was only a year older. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was also a little bit old for my grade because my parents put me in kindergarten when I came to the states instead of just putting me with my age group um which was also beneficial for me um but I think in the you know I'm hoping to stay kind of connected with the team now and kind of continue to support the um athletic program here at SCSU while I finish up my master's and have my internship and all of that going forward and graduate in the spring and Where's Not quite sure. Um, it's Native or Indigenous Health um, Clinic doing mental health there. So in Flandreau, South Dakota. Um, so I'll be working and learning in that setting. And then I will, I'm not sure if I'll continue to work in South Dakota or if um, my husband and I will decide to choose to spread our wings and fly somewhere else. So. 
My brother. There's no plans for a baby Dakota. either. He's been in South Dakota for a couple decades now. He seems to like it there. So. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not bad. Spot. It's a yeah. It's a it has its perks. Uh, the sure. winters are the worst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That is not, uh, yeah, that is not a falsehood there, what you're saying. Um, so, um, so it sounds like you might help out with the track team a little bit, maybe. Yeah, I'm hoping to, you know, stay involved just because I have so many of the people that, I mean, the fresh, the senior group now, they were, I was there when they came in as freshmen. And so I've really been there for all of them. And so it's like, it's kind of hard for being here for me not to be somewhat involved a little bit in whatever capacity Rod allows me to be involved. Um, but I'm hoping to continue to cheer on the Jackrabbits and be there as a support for all of them as they continue to grow and kill it on the track. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of good things going on there and I'm excited to see the success that they continue to bring in for the Jackrabbits. I'm sure he'd love to get you on as a volunteer assistant, a grad, <laughs> grad assistant, something like yes. that. Are you going to do any workouts with him? Uh, if I get my butt in shape enough, yes, <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. I I need to – I if took a few the, weeks off. If you become so. just a coach, then I'll know that you're not, uh, not, in, not in that shape. <laughs> yeah, if I, yeah, if you don't see me – post i'm sure if i do do workouts i'll probably post about it so you'll you'll know if i'm racing or not i'm hope my goal is to get into some races this um winter so or indoor season and just kind of help maybe pace some of the races for the girls good yeah so i'll be in decent shape eventually Kind of like an Alexina tubo well uh it's great um it's great talking with you Oxana. really uh yes I had a feeling this would be a good interview and it was everything that I thought it would be. So uh, I really appreciate your honesty and your time and uh, wish you the best of luck. Um, well, thank you, you so much. Go through your uh, graduate uh, final year of graduate school and, and uh, moving on to um, helping young children. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Oksana. Okay. Bye-bye.